powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. One of our absolute favorites, Brandon Gustafson, joins us in studio to talk, uh, well, a lot of things. We're going to start with MLB's top 100 list, and then we'll get to some of the latest updates from spring training. And Bump, I have great news. Brandon brought his notebook. I can see it right now. I feel bad. Let's get it. I feel bad for Brandon, who, like, there have been other people hired since Brandon got here, what, three years ago? Yeah, 2019, late 2019. Brandon was hired in 2019 and yet remains everyone's little brother. Like, we still just constantly... Bully him like he's grown. I don't bully you. Bully I, him. I was going to say I don't anyone. think this is a wee situation. I don't bu- Brandon, I think this Brandon is high school bully wanting to throw me into a locker for whatever reason. Exactly. You know, all that it is stuff. what it is. Okay, I make the rules. So let's get started. Speaking of MLB's top 100 list is out. Julio, the highest ranked Mariner, at 16. You've got Luis Castillo at 67. Teoscar Hernandez at 83. Ty France at 89. Um, Let's talk about whether there are any snubs first before we get to, obviously, the highest-ranked Mariner, Julio. So if I'm looking at this list, I'm looking at the Mariners roster, and obviously a lot of this is is what happened this past season. How are you not going to put Andres Munoz on there? Mm. Andres Munoz, once he kind of started clicking, it was basically the end of May through the end of the year. He was probably one of the two or three best relievers in baseball mm-hmm. up there with Eddie Diaz, uh, Emmanuel Classe uh, with Cleveland. Like he's up there in that in that kind of category. He's somebody who now that he kind of has that footing um, and, and is kind of established, he's somebody that I think we'll probably see at T-Mobile Park in July for the All Star Game. He's that kind of a guy. Mm. Munoz, man, you know, I was listening to the morning show and Salk said that he could see a situation where Brash passes up Munoz in high leverage situations. One, if that were to happen, that means that um, the staff is looking even that much better. What, What do you think about that? And what do you think the next step is for Brash? So what's funny is I actually wrote about that a few weeks ago. I said the same thing. I said I, I would not be surprised if Matt Brash uh, ends up being a better pitcher than Andres Munoz this year. And there are, there are a few reasons for it. When when Brash moved to the bullpen, uh, once he really started to get going, he became more of a high leverage guy. And he just absolutely dominated. And he was not giving up home runs. He did not allow a single home run as a as a member of the bullpen. Uh, the stuff is electric. And Andres Munoz, obviously, he has that electric stuff, too. Uh, it's probably a 1A, 1B sort of a thing. Right. Uh, but I, I, I don't know if it's more so Brash passing Munoz. But I think that by the end of the year, I think Brash and Munoz will be clearly ahead of guys like Paul Seawald and mm-hmm. some other guys like that. Uh, for Brash, the, the stuff is electric. We hear about him adding all sorts of stuff. We hear this... This praise that his slider might be the best pitch in MLB history, just in terms of like velocity and movement. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have pitched in Major League Baseball, so <laughs> a lot that, of pitchers. We'll, uh, we'll we'll see we'll see about that. But uh, for him, it's always been about attacking the strike zone. He has a really violent motion, so he can the the strike zone can get away from him at times. That was more so as a starter, I think, than a reliever. So just being able to command the strike zone and really just go out there and knowing like, hey, I got 98 to 100 in my back pocket with two nasty breaking balls, and just for fun I'm, mm. I added this cutter like just go out there and attack and I think that he's going to do some really special things. Let's talk Julio at 16 I don't necessarily think it's a snub 
I mean, it's your second year. Like you were a true rookie, second year in baseball, and you're number sixteen on this list. Pretty incredible, I don't think, Curtis. You said they hadn't revealed one through ten yet, right? Correct. Uh, I don't think any other Mariners are showing up on there because Julio is an absolute superstar. <laughs> hey, Cole you're, on the right, team now. you're right. You're right. You're right. I, I, I take Lestella everything. I will take not everything be back. We haven't seen Colton Wong show up yet, uh, but I don't know that anyone's passing up Julio <laughs> on this not. list from Seattle squad. And this is a really high standing for him. Um, do you see a world where he has an even better sophomore year? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He, he again, it, it took him like a month and a half to really get his footing. And, and you think about where he ended the year. He's one of the best in baseball in terms of slugging OPS. He was a, he was a 25, 25 guy. Um, and, and you got to remember like for the first month and a half of the year, he's in like 190, 200. Yeah. He wasn't really doing a whole lot at the plate. Uh, but from middle of May onward, then he's one of the best in baseball. And even with missing 30 games due to some injuries, even while just really struggling for that first part of the year, not only was he just the runaway winner for the AL Rookie of the Year, not only was he an all-star, not only did he do the derby and all that, but this is a guy who finished seventh in MVP voting in the American League. Like, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge deal considering how he started the year, just how young he is uh, and all that. So you're talking about someone who could be a 30, 30, 40, 40 guy, especially with the with the bigger bases, with the incentive to run a little more. The, the power really started to tick up towards the end of the year. We saw just some tremendous things from him in the batter box now he's you know he's more experienced he has a little bit of a better feel for what opposing pitchers are are going to try to do to him so it would not be out of the question for this guy to go out there and win MVP there's there's no doubt in my mind that, that he could go out there and win that as soon as this year and I think that by the time that we're talking at the end of the year, he's probably going to be top three in voting assuming that the Mariners have a good year and that they're successful and that Julio stays healthy in all sports there are dudes who the refs just respect a bit more. You got LeBron, Kobe, Jordan, any (laughs) veterans in the NBA, and even in the NFL, like the Tom Brady's or Aaron Rodgers. Last year to start the season – Umps wasn't messing with Julio. They're like, nah, He's man. He's getting jobbed a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to test you a little bit. Is one year enough to where these umps say, okay, Julio Rodriguez, you get the respect, sir. Let's have conversations about pitches. <laughs> like, what's his relationship with the with the umps going to be like this year? Well, that that's going to be an interesting part, too, because of the pitch clock. Uh, mm. with, with with hitters having to get back into the batter's box as fast as they will, I think it's with seven or eight seconds left on the clock. Like, I don't think there's going to be as much time for these guys to have that conversation with an umpire in at bats. Like, I thought that was a little off the plate. No, I had it on. Like, okay, we'll agree to disagree, sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, they they kind of got to flush this stuff really quick. If they if they don't like a call, maybe they turn around and go like, "What the heck?" Get back in the box, and then that's that. So I don't think you're going to be seeing him getting just regularly jobbed on like balls six inches off the plate or anything like that. But there the, there is a respect factor with a lot of these guys, yeah. especially guys like like a Juan Soto who is known for just having a, a tremendous batter's eye, works a lot of walks, mm-hmm. has just a great feel for the strike zone. You'll maybe see guys like that get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. Julio's not really that super control the strike zone type guy. He's just more of a damage guy. He doesn't walk a ton. He'll walk a little bit, but not a ton. So we'll we'll see. But I, I just as far as with the rule changes this year, I am interested to see how that hitter umpire dynamic does change. Can, can they not ask for time anymore? You know, you just step out and put that hand yeah, that, up. To and the, that, that's that, that's the thing. Like so much of this is up in the air because we know about the pickoffs and, and whatnot. I don't think they want that as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so may, maybe there is a rule. Like, I, I'm not super familiar with that aspect of it right now. I but feel like they'd have to leave room for it. Yeah. Like, what if you need to adjust your glove? Well, and, and you know, back? and you're you're standing you're standing in the box. Dirt can get in your eye, yeah. and that's part mm-hmm. of it too. Maybe you know you need to go get a new piece of equipment or something like that. So uh, I'm not super familiar with that aspect of it. Um, we we are going to be talking 
talking to a lot of us in Seattle media are going to be talking to Raul Abanez, who former Mariner, who's I think he's a vice president with MLB now, and he's kind of helping with a lot of these rule changes. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking to him in, in about an hour, uh, and, and that's something that I'll bring up because I do think it's interesting. You you have a very clear understanding of like the pitchers can only step off twice; mm-hmm. they can only they can only pick off twice. Otherwise, they got to get that guy out or it's a balk. But mm-hmm. from the hitter from the hitting side of things, I, I do think that ultimately the the hitters are going to have more of an adjustment period to this than the hitters yeah. or what than else the pitchers. Are you guys hoping that you learn in that meeting? Um, I, I, there's some there's been different reports about what the punishment is, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, when teams violate the the new shift regulations. Because I've seen some say, like, hey, it's just a ball. I've seen some say, hey, it's the best result for the hitting team. Uh, So I want to get some clarification on that. It does sound like if you have, you know, there's got to be four infielders in the dirt, two, two on each side of second base. But there have been some people that say, oh, they can't bring a left fielder over to that roamer spot, you know, where the second baseman used to be in the shift. But it sounds like that's actually going to be a thing. So kind of hearing hearing what MLB thinks about that, you know, kind of as a workaround to it. I mean, that, but at the end of the day, you only have two outfielders out there. Yeah. So it makes it a little little tougher than, than it than it used to be. So just kind of getting some clarification on all of that and, and really just kind of wanting to understand why are they doing all of this at once? I think that's something I've talked to you guys about. Like, there's a lot of changes to the game of baseball at one time. Yeah. Maybe may wondering why they didn't want to stagger it out a little bit. What's well, on the notepad? Holler at me. Give me something <laughs> you want to talk about. No, that that was that was all top hundred stuff. Like that, you know, I snubs Munoz underlined right. Like right. <laughs> he's uh, the what what he did last year, going from this. Uh, you know, he was a Tommy John guy and then going out there and it really took him his, a little bit to get his footing because you're looking at a guy. It's like, dude, you have one of the nastiest sliders on planet Earth. Yeah. You're throwing 102 miles an hour. And then Stupid. he was getting lit up like the, his fastball was just getting torched left and right for the first month and a half of the season. It's just like this guy should be really good. And then whatever it was, I know he started to throw a slider a little bit harder. Like it just started to click from there. And it was really impressive to see that guy kind of go out there and blossom into somebody who maybe he was overused a little bit at the end of the year, especially in the playoffs. But just seeing how much trust Scott had in that guy to be like, you're the nastiest guy on planet earth. Like go get him. I thought that was one of the cooler parts of last season. So you've got Julio at 16, Castillo 67, uh, Teoscar Hernandez, 83, France, 89. Who's got the best shot? that isn't currently one of those four players to land on the list next year? Oh, well, Munoz for sure. Um, Would you say that's a good question? That is a good question, Stacey. Are you serious? (laughs) Curtis. Oh, wow. That goes wow. against like, the whole... You can't ask Am for I a pretty? good question. Do you like my sweater? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just oh saying, fine, God. fine. We won't count that so, one, but I do think it was a good question. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Andres Munoz, as I talked about, I, I think that he's a guy that has... Tremendous All Star upside for this team. Um, Cal Raleigh, we we talked about yeah. the other the other week. Like, dude, not even being in the top ten of catchers. Like, give me a break. That guy was a dude last year. Uh, George Kirby. George Kirby was exceptional uh, last season. Had a little bit of a rocky start. His first ten starts, he's getting hit around a little bit. He was they were, they were hitting a lot of home runs off of him. After that, uh, just one home run, including mm-hmm. the playoffs. And we saw what he did in the playoffs. Like. You know, that dude's got that dog in him for sure. But what he was able to go out there and do and just dominate two really, really good lineups. Uh, obviously, one of them was a was a short outing against Toronto in that safe situation, but he'd never been there. There's a guy that is, he's not a reliever. He's a starter and he's pitching in a one run game after this tremendous comeback. Like and then for him to go out there and just dominate Houston like he did. I, I think George Kirby probably ends this next season as their second best starter. And and really, if, if there's anybody that's going to challenge Munoz. Uh, 
uh, uh, Luis Castillo for that title of ace, like it's George Kirby for sure. I think it was Tuesday, Stacey. Um, we we had the question, who needs to outperform, right? Who mm-hmm. needs to do something great this year? And I went with the two platoon guys. I went with AJ, and I went with uh, with Dylan Moore. Like, those guys need to have some years, especially with Tramel being banged up. Mm-hmm. You got Kalnick and AJ over there. Um, who, who's your pick? Who needs to outperform? Who needs to do something special this year so this team takes the next step? Well, I would go to two guys that, that have been here for a little bit. And Ty France, partially, you know, what, what he did in the second half, and he kind of admitted to it, like, yeah, he was really banged up, elbow, wrist, all that, and that really got to him. If Ty France is hitting like he did, you know, pre-All-Star break for basically an entire season, that's just a humongous factor for, for this team in this mm-hmm. lineup. Uh, the other guys, J.P. Crawford, started really hot, and then the kind of like Ty Really banged up. He plays a really, really hard defensive position just on his body and everything that you've got to do with it. Uh, but it sounds like they're really excited about what he's been doing this offseason. I think if those two can kind of show what they did more at the beginning of last season and, and can can kind of continue that over a full 162, that lineup just takes a massive step forward. This isn't meant to be a slight toward JP, but rather an opportunity to talk about what makes him good. But why mm-hmm. do you think that this team in this club has been so adamant about sticking with JP as their guy despite back-to-back great shortstop free agent classes? Yeah, for for sure. I, I will first off, part of it's money, obviously, and that's something that we've talked a lot about. And especially this offseason, those guys got massive contracts. Yeah. Those, were, yes. those were insane. A 200 year yeah. deal, I think, for <laughs> no, Carlos no, Correa initially right. before that yeah. failed physical. Yeah, Trey Turner getting crazy. the key to the city in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, right? it was, I think that uh, one one of them got uh, like a, I don't know, a kidney from, from an owner. <laughs> like, it's just. The stakes were crazy for these oh, shortstops. Well, with JP, like part of it is off the field. He he's kind of a, a leader of this team, and they they do really appreciate that. This is a team that really also values defense. I think more than some other teams. This is a team that works yes. super super hard before games with their early work. They're just so adamant about the fundamentals of the game, and that's something that JP's kind of been a prime example of their development from a from a fielding side. Where there were some questions about his glove when he came over from Philadelphia, and then all of a sudden he's a goal. Gold Glover in 2020, Gold Glove finalist, I believe, in 2021. And last year, injuries kind of hampered him a little bit. Um, if you remember, when they started this rebuild, something that Jerry Depoto and the Mariners shared was like, they, they, they kind of sat around a table and they said, hey, look across the league. Who are guys that we could feasibly go out and target and that we could go get and we want them to be part of this team going forward? And everybody wrote down J.P. Crawford's name. And part of that is the the fielding side of it, I think. And just he he is a very good athlete. Um, but he's got a, he's got a sweet swing. He he doesn't hit the ball exceptionally hard, but he's got really good bat-to-ball skills. He's got a really good understanding of the strike zone. And obviously that's something that we hear a lot, dominate the zone, control the zone. So I think those are some factors for it and, and on top of just what he does for the team as a whole off of it. All right, make sure you're reading Brandon's work as well as work from all of our contributors, including hosts at seattlesports.com. Thanks so much, Brandon. Yeah, thanks, guys. BG. All right, this hour of Bump and Stacey's brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Let's get to four down territory. This is four down territory. Going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, Bump. Who's your new sleeper wide receiver in the draft this year? Did you have Sky Moore last year? I did have Sky Moore yeah, last year. That's a good call. I like that guy. Yeah. I like that guy. He like scored a kid. touchdown in the, uh, sure in the Super Bowl. He did sure did. And any receiver who wears number 20 something, I respect because you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. That's like 1960 stuff. But um, my guy, Nathaniel Tank. 
Dale. With a name like Tank, you think he's a big individual, right? I absolutely would think that. Negative. Oh. He's listed as 5'10". They say he's 5'8", 165. In tw- I love that that's his nickname. <laughs> In 2022, he had 109 receptions for 1,300 yards and 17 touchdowns. That's number one in the NCAA. In 2021, he had 90 receptions, 1,300 yards, and 12 touchdowns. He has the most receiving touchdowns the past two years in the NCAA. He had a game of 167, a game of 160, a game of 180, a game of 134. If you do not get your hands on this young man at the line of scrimmage, because he's 5'8", 165, Mm -hmm. that's how you do it. He's going to cook you. He went to the Senior Bowl, and it sounds like he did not lose a rep. This guy is dynamic. Now, he's not the guy you're going to line up on the outside and say, okay, beat this guy one-on-one every single time. He can move him him around. He reminds me of a better Tavon Austin. Remember Tavon Austin from West Virginia? I think you mean Tank Von Austin. Tank Von Austin. That's why they call him He was with the Rams for a little I bit. I do, though. I do remember. But he's a lot more skilled, a better route runner than yeah. this guy. I'm looking at him and I'm saying, that's my sleeper. Anybody who gets this young man late in the draft, you might be on to something. Maybe it'll be Seattle. Second down. New Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon is taking a page from Nick Sirianni's handbook. Tell me about it. Nick Sirianni, he got that job over in Philly. He goes, I'm calling the offense, man. I'm calling the offense. Then they start the season and they lost five of their first seven. He goes, I don't want it no more. I'm not calling the offense. I don't want it no more. But this, this is a change that happened. The first seven games, they threw the ball 242 times. 34 attempts a game. Jalen Hurts had one game with over 100 QB rating. The last eight games, because Hurts missed a couple games, um, they threw the ball 190 times. That's 52 times less. He had 23 attempts per game. He had four games with a QB rating over 100. The first seven games running the football, 817 yards, 116 yards per game. No games over 200 yards rushing. The last 10, 1,800 yards, 189 per game, five games over 200 yards rushing. All that tells me is that this move by Sirianni to not call plays allowed him to focus on other things and still help out. He still helped with the game plan. He still stripped the first 15 plays, and it worked out. My guy Gannon saying, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to get me a young 29-year-old and Nick Rallis is 29 and goes, look, you call the plays, but I'm still going to be involved in what's going on. Now, Gannon is a defensive guy, but the fact that he's saying, look, it worked over there with the uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to come over here and I'm just going to make sure everything's in place and we're good to go. So uh, I like it, man. I think he's still going to be involved, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's saying, look, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, be too involved in the offense and the defense. I'm just going to make sure things are straight. I like that approach. Third down. Chiefs players are coming to the defense of Eric Bieniemy, now offensive coordinator with Washington, after LaShawn McCoy's comments about Bieniemy's involvement in game planning. What do you make of this entire situation? Now, LaShawn McCoy is one of my favorite players to watch sure. when he was playing. I remember that game in the snow, and he's making cuts like it's dry out there. Respect the dude. But when I heard him say he has nothing to do with the pass game, I, I just felt a little bitterness out there. I'm like, why? You're a running back. So do you really pay attention to the pass game? You just pick, remember who you're picking up and when you release yeah. into the flats. And then Tyreek Hill said, look, shady man, because he told him to tuck the ball high. So apparently the enemy told my guy McCoy to hold it high. And then uh, Matthew stepped in as well. This is what happens. Just because Eric Bieniemy isn't the one addressing the team doesn't mean he doesn't have input. Andy Reid is an offensive guy. This is what he does. So when it's time to address a team and install, he's going to be the guy to talk. Sure. So you're telling me that you don't think Eric Bieniemy was in the meetings with him and he had input on, hey, I like this, I like that. Andy Reid has the last say. But for you to sit there and say he had nothing to do with the pass game. Like he was just sitting there. Yeah, you just sound like a hater. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, but he's going to make a lot of money having the takes that he has. And he's, I mean, I, I just, he just emerged on the scene maybe a couple months ago. And yeah. now he's one of the voices that we listen to. So good for Shady. You get your money. You keep 
of this controversy. But for, so what is B and me doing? Just sitting there and just nodding his head all the time. Like, Love it, Andy. Yeah, yeah give, me, give me this 500K. And I see her <laughs> nodding my head. That's not realistic. Shady sounds a little, little, little hurt. So I, I appreciate these guys sticking up for him. We also heard Andy Reid, and I don't think this was just him talking for no reason, say Eric bien is a huge part of this. Shout yeah. out to Eric doing a great job. Hot takes. Yeah. Get your money. I'm going to start. I'm gonna, I need more hot takes. Is that what I need to do? I think that you need more takes that are, I'm going to call them inflammatory takes. Inflammatory not takes. Not even hot. They are like scalding hot and mostly wrong. Yeah. That's what I try to do. Fourth down. <laughs> Dave Canales, who will never succeed in Tampa. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dave Canales, new offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay, realizes there will be some bumps along the way as he becomes a coordinator for the first time in his career. Congratulations to Dave. What are some challenges he will face? First time play caller. Now, I did this in high school, at the high school level, and I had some bumps along the way. It's communicating with your coaches. It's clock management. It's down and distance. It's setting up other plays. We saw Andy Reid set up a game-winning play with that P.I. on Juju Mm Smith-Schuster. It seems like years ago, minutes ago, (laughs) quarters ago. But he set that thing up a long time ago. So it's understanding how to progress throughout a game. He's he's seen this work, right? He's been in the rooms. He's been in the box. He's been on the sideline. He understands how to do it. But there's nothing like the real thing. You know what it's like? You go to the driving range, Stacey, and you out there just oh, I know. Bow, smacking yeah. it. Yeah, cabal. Right? I get out my seven 250 iron. straight. Yeah. You are doing your thing. Minimum. And then you get out on the course and you're chunking it, you're slicing it, you're hooking it. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. Oh, I and thought it those takes were good a while. Things. No, it's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> you got to take your time, calm yourself down. So the biggest challenge for him is going to be able to take it from the range to the course. Now, he can do it. Uh, I'm rooting for this guy. But it's going to be different. A lot of things happen. It happens faster. you got to be able to communicate. Um, those are some of the things that are going to be a challenge. But eventually, he's going to get it. This guy's been around the game for a long time. He's been in the NFL for 10-plus years. He'll be all right. Yeah. But there's going to be a learning curve. Have you been thinking and ruminating on your next scalding hot take? I haven't. I will this break, though. Yeah, just think about right. what you – we'll get back to it Uh you know, just something that's like really inflammatory. I need one from you too, though. Yeah, like wildly offensive. All right. Okay, you got it. It's Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. A high school broadcaster went viral for the best call ever. I loved this sound. We're going to play it for you. And Dame Lewis drops a new song. That's next in the timeline. This is the timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1 800 DUIOA. You are listening to Bump and Stacy, and it's the timeline reading you the top stories you're going to see and hear on your own timeline. This one went viral yesterday. Um, I can't. You know what? I don't want to spoil it. So what I'll say is this is um, at a high school in Michigan where a high school broadcaster went viral. This is his call at the end of a basketball game. Turns out it has nothing to do with the basketball game, but rather a weather announcement. And Lost calls the snow day. Breaking news. Lost just called the snow day right here at the student section. Oh my goodness. Oh, I've never seen that before. Breaking news. Lost called the snow day at Hamilton. Woo! No school for me tomorrow. And that's the end of the game. Zero's on the clock. 57-45. Lusk takes it home along with the Hawkeyes. 
So the game is already ended. The kids are going through the high or the uh, the high five line, and then all of a sudden the student section erupts, and kids start screaming and running out of the stands. And then that's when he gets the news that there's a snow day tomorrow, and he loses his mind. I love hearing like younger kids who you can tell they're like I'm. Like I want to, he he clearly wants to be a play-by-play broadcaster. Yeah. Like you can hear it in his voice, using a lot of just kind of like I've never seen anything like this before. But it's for a snow day, and I love it. I'm so jealous. I've <laughs> never got to experience the joy of knowing that uh, you don't have school tomorrow because of, of a snow day. I didn't have school because of earthquake. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> snow day joy. My kids get to experience that. I, I I did not experience any of that. There's nothing like it, Bump. Nothing like it. Now, Curtis and I uh, both grew up in Washington State, obviously, and um, it there's nothing like a snow day, but it was different during our time, Curtis. Yeah, it cha- it's changed a lot. It's changed a we lot. Now you get notifications, you get text, text updates, emails, SMS updates. Yeah. What we used to do was you would wake up and it would still be dark outside because it's winter and you would sit in your living room in front of the TV, the local news, Turn and they would any have of the any of the channels and they'd have, you know, talking about the weather and there would be a ticker at the bottom that would go through all the school districts and you'd be like, Snohomish. Snoqualmie, whatever, Pierce, and then it would go through and you would wait for yours to show up in the second. Mine was Highline and it would show up Highline and it would either say, you know, canceled or two hours. And the worst was when it was like canceled, canceled, canceled. And then yours would show up two hours. God, but the anticipation of waiting for it, your heart's like racing. Did you cheer? Yes. Did you cheer? Were you happy when you when you were in high school and found out you didn't have school? A thousand percent. You would go out and play in the snow or you would stay in all day and be on your computer and watch TV and go on AOL. Play Sims. (laughs) Play the Sims for hours. It was amazing. Yeah. Play uh, what was out when we were in high school. Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah. Game Cubes. Yeah. I think Playstations were out. Yes, like, they were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're not that old. Definitely. I know. I'm, okay. I'm aging us. I'm making us sound like we were like. Right? I'm making us sound like PlayStation. 10 years old. I was like mid 90s PlayStation. I know, my dad. Right? Exactly. I think about it. We those definitely, definitely, definitely were out. Just there kidding. are just. You can hear it in that kid's voice. Just the elation to not have school tomorrow and not have to worry about it. Like, that is exactly how you feel when you get the notification that there is a snow day. Like, I remember vividly yeah. thinking back to my childhood, just watching the ticker and being like, Kent School District, no school. And it's just like, oh, Your my heart gosh, races. this is the greatest moment of my life. Like, Bump, yes. I feel sad that you never got to experience <laughs> the this. Closest like, I you got really to it, missed out. Close I got to it is not coming into work because I'm snowed in over in Monroe. It's not the but same. it's not the same. It's not the same because you still you know why? It's not the same because you're paying taxes. Exactly. <laughs> like when you're a kid, you're adult, when you're, you're a kid exactly. and you have no worries in the world, there is nothing better than having right. in addition not even the responsibility of going to school. Jealous. When you're an adult, you still got to be like, well, I mean, I also have the knowledge of like mortality and <laughs> like the <laughs> well, world now, is just yeah. heavier. You're like, I still got to pay rent. Well, now like <laughs> When it snows and you're an adult, you don't get a call in and say, no. like, I'm off. Like, they you got to kind of make your way in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, God. allow for some extra time to come in. Well, I had, you know what? I had one at Washington State. We had the first one in like 100 years. That but blows there were my days, mind. But there were days where I just didn't go to class anyway because well, I didn't want to. Yeah, of course. But how did Washington State, where it, you get a ton of snow, right? Yeah. Like, a lot. you guys never had them 
cancel class because of snow ever, ever, ever. No, didn't cancel class. That's didn't cancel wild. practice. That's and like, wild. We do this. It's just irresponsible. It is. Go Cougs, right? Am I right? Let's get to our next story here. Portland just had its second snowiest day on record. Speaking of snow, with 10 inches of snowfall, parts of the city reported more than a foot of snow in a 24-hour period. Why am I reading you this story? Because of this. The Portland Trailblazers were stuck on the tarmac for seven hours on Wednesday because, again, so much of this snow happened in a 24-hour period, so a lot of people were caught off guard or had plans delayed, and that includes professional sports teams. Seven hours, stuck on a plane, so what do you do? You drop a new song. Dame Lillard and the rest of the team wrote a rap about it. This is this is being recorded on an iPhone on an aeroplane. If this was in a studio, I think it would actually sound pretty good. My favorite line is the shooters in the locker room like we're the wizards because that's a callback to when Gilbert Arenas brought a gun into the locker room and was playing with the wizards. That's a good line. Uh, I thought it was so I thought it was you clever. You said it's cuffing season. It's cold. You better hide your girl. Hide your girl. It's cold out there. I thought it was pretty good. I liked All it. things considered, like you just wrote this about being stuck on a plane. So sometime during the seven hours, you were like, here we go. I believe the Blazers, like three or four years ago, also got stuck in an elevator at the team hotel. I'm sorry. A lot of bad happenstances with the Portland Trail. How long were they stuck in that elevator? Like like an hour or so. That is my nightmare. Elevators I'm I'm scared of in general because I'm afraid of stepping onto an elevator and then the elevator crashes. Or when you're walking off the elevator and you're halfway, it crashes and it cuts you in half. Well, and imagine being (laughs) an NBA player, like multiple (laughs) NBA players stuck in an elevator. NBA players are just massive people. They're, you know, six, 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 seven, seven foot, seven feet tall. And they're all built like brick houses. Like there's no room to, to maneuver in that elevator at all. Uh Typical Blazers, I guess, just having weird things. Seven hours on the tarmac? Seven Why hours. Why do you not plane? Why do you not just go into the lobby and just wait? I know that you guys are all, or I know that the Blazers are like famous people in Portland. Like they're easily recognizable and they might get hounded, especially Damian mm, Lillard. But like, I would rather, ra- I would rather wait be, in an airport. I, yeah, I would much rather wait in an airport terminal than seven hours on an airport. At least I can, I mean... It's a private jet, so I'm sure the seats are more comfortable than, like, they are in the airport. So maybe you're like, whatever, let's just stay here. Like, we have, like, uh, games and a TV and whatever, but seven hours. Seven of them things. Seven of them things. Have you guys ever been stuck or stranded anywhere? Yeah, my house with my kids, man. Snow days. They're not at school. They're home. They're crying. They're arguing. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. Nowhere to escape for you. Curtis, have you ever been stuck or stranded anywhere? Uh, no. I came close to being stranded in a snowstorm one time uh, where I was living. The only way you could get to it was driving up either one big hill uh, one way or one big hill the other way. I tried to go up one of the big hills. 
my car stalled out, rolled back down the hill, and I was like, uh-oh. So then I tried the other big hill, got a really good running start up the hill, made it, uh, fortunately, so I didn't get stranded anywhere. Yeah, so. but when you made if it to I, the top, were you kind of disappointed? No, when I made it to the top, I I was relieved because yeah. I was trying to get to my house. Yeah. And like, uh, I was very relieved to get up to the top because if it wasn't that, then it's just like, all right, well... Guess I'm guess I'm stuck. Yeah, like, that's no fun. Yeah, I've only ever been stuck in the snow, not in a stranded car. Thank goodness. I was stuck. Remember that really really bad snowstorm that happened here in Seattle like ten years ago? Maybe it was 2012. I was on I five going from here to SeaTac for six hours. Wow. Dang. Yeah. Wow. I know. I still remember it. I fell asleep in the car. I mean, I wasn't driving. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> That's good. God, people are sending in there like when they were stuck. Someone said, I was stranded at a random train station in India when it was dang near 100 degrees for 10 plus hours because of a train delay. Then they got us to our destination at 2 a.m. with no hire booked. That's a cancellation. Ahead of time. Oh, no hotel. No hotel booked ahead of time. Goodness. Dang. Caleb and Everett, uh, big ups if you were in the military. He says, I was stuck in Kuwait for two weeks coming oh. home from Iraq. Appreciate you, man. God, imagine thinking, like, I'm on my way home right? finally. Yeah, yeah, appreciate you, Caleb. That does uh, that does suck, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a bad situation. Uh, all right, well, I'm glad everyone made it out from wherever they were stuck. And uh, we are moving on here to Mariner's Talk. As a reminder, if you miss any part of the show, make sure you're subscribed to the Bump and Stacy podcast. The latest Seattle sports news is available on your phone every single weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Google Play, Apple, wherever. Please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, if you do listen, we'd really, really appreciate it. It is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The Mariners and Cole Calhoun agreed to a minor league deal this morning. We heard from Jerry DePoto in his exclusive weekly interview on Brock and Salk explaining why that signing was made. Plus, can we still expect a trade? That's next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. A new Mariner, the latest with Evan White and potential for another trade. Let's talk everything we learned this morning, not just with the Cole Calhoun news, but from Jerry DePoto on with Brock and Salk. We're going to start with the news this morning. The Mariners agreed to a minor league deal with Cole Calhoun. Calhoun did not have a great 2022. Uh, he whiffed in 32 32- of plate appearances uh, while also walking a walk rate of just 6.4% down from over 9% for his career average. So he struck out more, walked less. All bad news. Uh, 35 years old, but guess what? You need some help with that platoon. So he is signed this morning to a minor league deal. Here's Jerry DePoto asked why they made that signing. Uh, You know, Cole, well, first of all, you're not going to find a better clubhouse guy than Cole Calhoun. That really fiery I've had experience with Cole dating back to his minor league years with the Angels and when he first broke in at the big league level. Uh, has a lot of leadership qualities that you look for. He's he's got energy. He's got passion for it. You know, he's got the the right amount of uh, you know the fiery competitor in him that that stands out and really kind of rubs off on the other guys. So. Now, that plus, you know, a really good defensive outfielder who can really throw that that has a history of hitting right-handed pitchers in this league. And and he's a guy that I think will benefit with uh, some of the changes in the shifting rules. Now, Cole Calhoun is one of the most shifted against free agents who were available. He was number two on that list. So, yeah, he's one of the players who could benefit from uh, changes to the shift um, for 2023, for sure, as could many other players. But, Bump, I feel like what I'm hearing is, uh, yeah, well... 
we don't have a lot of options, so what do you want us to do? Like, that's what I'm hearing. And it was a, it was like a 40-second cut, and it's, you know, important to hear what Jerry has to say. But what I'm hearing is, uh, yeah, we know he's not, like, the best ever, but, uh, you know, good clubhouse guy. We need some help. This is what he said. Shamel got hurt. Yeah. We need depth. Yeah. What do you want me he's to do? He's good in the locker room. <laughs> Might have struggled a bit, but I know him from 10 years ago, and yeah. there's a relationship there. That's why you don't burn bridges, kids. Because you might be in a situation where someone where Jerry remembers DePoto you, can sign you in a certain way and says, okay, let's bring him over. Obviously, he's declining. He's 35 years old. But um, it's a depth move. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Sometimes you put yourself in a new situation. You get rejuvenated. And uh, things can happen. But uh, that's a direct move because of Tremel. Well, and the giant comedy of this whole signing is that Cole Calhoun has carved himself out a nice place in sort of Mariner's lore uh-huh. as a Mariner killer. Like this guy, for whatever reason, has feasted on Mariner's pitching in his career. He's hit 24 home runs against the Mariners. No other team he has hit more than 17 home runs against. <laughs> so for whatever reason, uh, he has terrorized the Mariners throughout the course of his major league career. I'm sure Bob Stelton when he gets news of this, uh, he will tell Mike Lefko, <laughs> When Bob wakes up today. Yeah, when Bob wakes up in 10 minutes, he will <laughs> immediately call Mike Lefko and say, get rid of everything we had planned for the show. We are going four hours on Cole, uh, Cole Calhoun, Calhoun. Because there's nobody that I know that has sports hated someone more than Bob Stelton sports hates Cole Calhoun. Is it because Cole is only good against the Mariners and has been pretty awful otherwise? Yes. I think it also has to do with Cole Calhoun being a ginger, too. Which oh, well, that's, is not, I mean, that's yeah. messed up, Bob. Yeah, exactly. Come on, open your mind. Yeah, it's, uh, again, I think that this is a team, in my opinion, that uh, was favoring making trades over big free agent signings, and the trade market dried up uh, sooner uh, than they anticipated. Is there still room to potentially make a trade? I mean, here's what Jerry DePoto had to say about trade talks. Yeah, I mean, it's happening. It's not as robust as it was in December and January, but you know, we're still having those conversations. And you know, it's uh, as camps get going, and you know, the, the the injuries just start jumping out. You know, when you get the the dings and the bruises, you expect those. When you get something more significant than that. Uh, there's there's only so far your depth is going to be able to carry you, uh, and you know as as such you wind up you keep in touch with teams on players you've been interested in, and you know your your phone's at the ready in the event that that something goes wrong, you know in your camp or elsewhere, and inevitably it does. So those conversations will continue throughout the spring. I think that this team, like many other teams in MLB, is incomplete and has some holes and. Um, is better on paper assuming that they don't have regression from other places, like assuming that Gino Suarez doesn't regress, assuming that Julio has a great sophomore year, assuming that you don't have regression from Cal, you end up having a pretty solid year from the Mariners, but you also have to make assumptions that, you know, you, you stay good in some other areas like your health with your starting rotation or whatever. Um, Again, I would have loved to see more insurance. I just think that their avenue to find that insurance dried up. It's good to hear from Jerry DePoto, at least, that they're still exploring that, that they're keeping their phone open and they're willing to hear those trade talks. I mean, what do you Man, think about it? Nah, they set. I think, think they're, they're set. Think Opening day roster is good to go. If there's any moves that are going to be made, it's going to be for Calhoun and guys like that. Yeah. The only thing that could happen is once you get into spring training, bodies start moving Guys start getting bruised up and dinged up, and then maybe something happens like that. 
knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody yeah. we expect to be on the opening day roster. But, you know, this is him just doing his due diligence and telling us what we want to hear. They know who's going to start yep. day one, uh, opening day. It is what it is. I've I've come to terms with it. And if you want to bring in guys like Calhoun to be a good uh, good locker room guy and, and he brings something to the team, so be it. Let's just get, make sure that pitching staff is healthy. Let's make sure all the starters are healthy and that the vibes are good and we're getting ready for this uh, season. All right, we know that Ty France will be your starting first baseman to uh, start the season, but will Evan White end up spelling him at times? Jerry DePoto talking about White's camp so far. Evan played a fair bit of outfield in college at the University of Kentucky. He actually played the outfield for Team USA. Um prior to, to his draft year. So it's it's not foreign to him. He's such a good athlete. And right now, he's actually been one of the most high-raising players in camp to this point. His, you know, Evan looks 100% healthy. He checks out in the in the training room as 100% healthy. We know the, the dynamic of, of what his defense does on our infield. And, you know, what we're seeing right now in his athletic explosiveness in the batter's box, you know, there's still so much left to be told in, in Evan's story. What could help Evan get back to the majors? How about being able to help elsewhere as well, like in the outfield? I feel like what the Mariners did at left field was, okay, instead of going to get a left fielder, let's get 20 and yeah. just see what works out. I'm, and that's not like a dig per se. I mean, you're working with what you're working with. That sounds, add him to the pile. That sounds interesting. That, that cut is interesting because mm. he's talking about, man, he looks good in that outfield. There's Jared, AJ, Dylan can get out there, Haggerty, Julio, Teo, uh, Taylor Trammell. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds good. They're, they're not going to put him in outfield. What you, what you need Evan White to do is be there just in case Ty isn't feeling good, something happens with Ty, yeah. and you need him to fill in that first base. That's why you got him. That's why you signed him. So, uh, man, Jerry's doing a good job, man. He's selling us. He's selling the team, saying, look, man, we got guys who can play multiple positions. We're bringing in veterans. Um, we have our guys all set. This is the off-season training, spring training dance that you do right now. It's all about selling your team because what you want people to do are to show up and buy tickets and support this team. So yep. do what you got to do, baby. Uh, all right. For those of you who are interested in hearing more about some of these top prospects, Bryce Miller was another topic of conversation, that conversation with Jerry DePoto on the Brock and Sock podcast page. It's Bumpin' Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Talk and draft next. John and Pete have the highest pick they've had ever. So the, what are they going to do with it? That's next.